everybody. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is Nurse Mo, and today we are talking about COPD. But before we get into that, I just want to say that I totally recognize that our production schedule has gone into a little bit of a slower paced mode right now. And I promise there's a very good reason for that. We're working behind the scenes over here on a giant new project and a huge product launch that will occur later in the summer. So it's just taking up a lot of our resources. We're still posting great content, just not quite as frequently, but once this product launch occurs, we'll be definitely back into the full swing of things. So as I'm sure you recall, COPD stands for Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease. So what this is, is essentially a chronic inflammatory lung disease, usually made up of a blend of emphysema or chronic bronchitis, maybe a little asthma thrown in, and it's mostly as a result of smoking. It can also be due to exposure to irritants, maybe someone who works in an environment where there's a lot of dust particles or noxious fumes, chemicals, things like that. For the most part, though, your COPD patient is likely to be a long-term smoker. So the signs that you might see in your patient with COPD, shortness of breath is a big one. They may have a long expiratory phase of their respiratory cycle. This could be accompanied by something called pursed lip breathing, which is a technique that COPD patients learn to help empty their lungs. There's often increased mucus production, You may hear wheezing, the patient could be confused, state that their chest feels tight, have a cough, or be lethargic to somnolent to completely obtunded. So in COPD, essentially you have a couple of problems. In one, the lungs basically lose their elasticity, so air gets trapped in the lungs, And that is why that expiratory phase can be so prolonged because they're trying to get the air out. And then also the alveoli will not be functioning properly. So there is less opportunity for gas exchange when the alveoli do not have adequate surface area to do that. So when there is less surface area available for gas exchange in the lungs, what happens in your COPD patient is that the oxygen levels will be too low and the CO2 levels will be too high. And many COPD patients will kind of live at this place of being a little bit hypoxic and a little bit hypercapnic, meaning O2's a little low, CO2's a little high. So to review the regular PaO2 levels in the blood, optimal is 80 to 100. The CO2 patient will a lot of times live in the 50s, 60s for their oxygen level. And then the normal CO2 level in the blood is 35 to 45. But the COPD patient will often live in the 50s. So if you hear someone refer to your patient as someone who is in the 50-50 club, What they're meaning is that they probably live at a place where their oxygen's always around 50-ish 
and their CO2 is always around 50-ish, meaning they're always a little bit low in oxygen and a little high in CO2. And while that would be alarming for you in a healthy patient or someone without COPD, it can be considered the normal baseline for someone who does have COPD. So that brings me to the next point, and I want to talk a little bit about the respiratory drive and how it differs for people with COPD versus someone who does not have COPD. So let's say you're talking about your patient who does not have COPD. So for instance, I'm going to hold my breath. Something is going to cause my body to scream out for me to take that breath, right? When you duck your head under the water, when you're snorkeling or swimming in the ocean or whatever, eventually you have to come up to take a breath and your body is craving that breath and that oxygen so much. So what is it physiologically in your body that makes that happen? Well, in a regular person, and I say regular, not that COPD patients are not regular, but I mean the non-COPD patient, in regular physiology, the drive to breathe is triggered by chemoreceptors that are receptive to elevated CO2 levels. So it's not the lack of oxygen that makes you have to take that breath. It's the elevated CO2 that's triggering your body to say, breathe now, breathe now, okay? But in your COPD patient who has altered physiology, those CO2 receptors are oversaturated, so they're not going to work optimally. Luckily, the body is smart and it has lots of backup plans. So the backup plan for your COPD patient is that hypoxia will drive their respiratory drive. Which then, if you're thinking about it, are you thinking, hmm, as long as my COPD patient is mildly hypoxic, they'll have a respiratory drive. We don't want to, quote, knock out their respiratory drive, do we? And you'll hear that phrase a lot, knocking out the respiratory drive. So where this comes into question is when you are talking about giving supplemental oxygen to your patient who has COPD. Could that supplemental oxygen knock out their respiratory drive? And if you look at the studies on this, there's so much interesting information. And from looking back at it historically, it sounds like at one time the thinking was don't give supplemental oxygen to COPD patients because you will knock out their respiratory drive. Not entirely true. A lot of times COPD patients will need some oxygen. They just don't need a lot of oxygen. They probably won't need as much oxygen as you would give someone with regular respiratory physiology. So when you have your patient hooked up to the pulse oximetry or you're doing a blood gas, in a COPD patient, you are going to accept as optimal a much lower number. For instance, on pulse oximetry, that's the little probe on the finger that you can just take that measurement when you're doing their vital signs. Most likely with the COPD patient, you're shooting for 88 to 92% SpO2. So if they're in there and they're on a little nasal cannula, 
they might just need a couple liters, maybe even a liter and a half, you know? So you're not trying to get them to 98, 99, 100 like you do with other patients. You're going to accept a much lower number and that will be optimal for that patient. So this is definitely something that will come up and now you can kind of contribute to that conversation and I encourage you to do a little more research on it if it interests you because it is actually very interesting, the physiology behind all of that. So let's talk now about how we treat the patient who has come in with a COPD exacerbation. So if your patient comes in and their COPD is really bad, that means that their CO2 has gotten so high that they are probably having a pretty altered level of consciousness. They're either very lethargic, very confused, somnolent, or obtunded. And when we say someone is obtunded, they are out, okay? So the first thing that we do with the COPD patient who's somnolent, obtunded, whatever, is we typically put them on the BiPAP, which is that positive airway pressure mask. Very uncomfortable, I'm sure. It looks really awful when I... When I see it, it's just forcing, blowing air into the patient. So your COPD patient will most likely have BiPAP. If they're very bad off, very hypoxic in combination with being very hypercapnic, they could be intubated. Always try to avoid intubation. So BiPAP has become a very popular treatment for COPD, and a lot of patients do just fine with BiPAP, and they don't have to be intubated. What will typically happen in your patient with COPD, I see this over and over and over again, is that they'll come in, they'll be somnolent or obtunded. We put the BiPAP on. As their CO2 level clears, as that positive air pressure clears their CO2, they wake up, they don't want the BiPAP because it's uncomfortable. Maybe they're disoriented after coming off that we call it CO2 narcosis, and though may even be combative, taking off the BiPAP mask, not wanting to wear it. So they look a little better, right? They're no longer as somnolent. They're following commands. Maybe you do a blood gas and you see that their CO2 is better. So you put them on a little bit of oxygen or whatever. And a couple hours later, they get somnolent again. You have to put the BiPAP back on. They clear the CO2, wake up, get agitated, want it off, and around and around and around you will go with this patient, your whole shift, your whole night, whatever. So you can expect that, and that's kind of pretty common. A lot of patients with COPD already have maybe a little higher anxiety level than other patients. And I see this with chronic asthma patients as well, because that feeling of not being able to breathe or get enough air is incredibly anxiety producing. So just having that extra compassion for people dealing with that horrible feeling can go a long way toward providing excellent care and just really giving your patient what they need, which is a calm presence and your support whatever they're going through. The next way that we treat COPD exacerbations is with 
some kind of nebulized breathing treatment, some kind of bronchodilator that can help open up the airways. They will also most likely be on a corticosteroid to decrease inflammation. And antibiotics, if it's warranted, like if they come in with an infection, especially a lung infection, you're going to want to clear that up as well. So that is the down and dirty basic introduction to COPD and how we treat it in the clinical setting. There's a whole lot more complexity if you want to get into airway pressures and expiratory times and all of that, especially if you're into respiratory therapy or thinking about going into that. If you want to look that up, I would highly encourage that. And then I have a fun fact for you about nebulized breathing treatments, specifically Atrovent, which if I'm saying this right, ipotropium bromide. So ipotropium can cause a unilateral fixed pupil dilation. So if you've got a patient who's getting this medication and you note a round, fixed, big pupil on one side, of course, you're going to want to explore if they have had a stroke. But part of your communication should be they're also getting atrovent or ipotropium bromide because apparently that can happen. And yes, I have seen that happen. So terrifying to think that your patient has had a devastating stroke. CT scan is clear. They have no neurological deficits. Then you can start kind of thinking about what could have caused this. Well, turns out maybe they're taking something called atrovent or ipotropium bromide. So there's your fun fact for the day. And then I was going to give you guys a quick little sneak peek. I may have talked about this already, about the huge product launch that we're doing for this summer. And what that is, is a nursing school boot camp for you guys that are starting nursing school. It'll be something that you would do before you start your program. It is going to be an online course. And the whole concept behind this nursing school boot camp is to introduce to the brand new nursing student all the core foundation concepts that are taught in the first few weeks of your programs. But I have to say those first few weeks are absolutely probably the busiest weeks that you'll ever have in your academic career. And you will be learning so much information so fast, there is a very high chance that a lot of core foundation knowledge will just fly right past you because there's just not enough hours in the day for you to catch every one of those fastballs. Your professors will be lobbing them at you right and left. Very easy to get overwhelmed during that time, very easy to miss core knowledge, and very easy to fall behind. So with my nursing school boot camp, my idea is to set you up for optimal success by introducing these concepts before the insanity starts and really just get you on solid footing before you start your program so you can optimize your time, be excellent students, have less stress, and really put yourself into that framework of being ready to learn. So that's what I'm working on. And that is what is taking a little bit of the resources away from our usual production schedule. But once we get this product launch, 
out, and I anticipate it being in plenty of time for those of you starting in the fall of 2018. Then we'll get back to our regular production schedule. So thanks for your patience, and I hope that you are as excited about it as I am. And then the other product that we're doing is, of course, we have the planners, which some of you may already know about. It's designed specifically for nursing students. It is a paper planner. I talk about planning and organizing and time management a lot on the website. And over the past few years, the planners have grown and evolved and gotten better and better and better. And I'm super excited to say that this next iteration of that is our very best version yet. It is going to be a pre-printed piece that you will have shipped to you in the mail, all ready to go. You no longer have to deal with printing it yourself or having it printed or dealing with any of that. It's going to have a laminated cover, nice paper. It's beautiful. I'm so excited about it. And those should be launching in anytime now. So it's right now, mid-April, anytime now they'll be launching. So be sure to check that out on the straightanursingstudent.com website as well. And if you have any comments, ideas for future podcast topics, go to the website, hit the contact in the upper menu bar. I think it's under about and then contact and send a note and we'll definitely consider covering that. So thanks everybody and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.